So this morning we're going to, Lord willing, finish up with 1 Peter chapter 1, which I know it seems uh, it's taken us a little while to get through it, but I hope it's been edifying, beneficial for you. Um, and then I'm going to, after this teaching today, after we have our discussion, then I'm going to take two weeks off from 1 Peter, and we've got a couple people that will fill in for a couple weeks just to give you guys a break, give me a break uh, as well, and then... And then we'll we'll go into chapter two, I guess what would be three three weeks from uh, from today. So so we are going to have uh, another discussion today. I think we're only going to cover four verses, and so I'm hoping that as we as we talk through these last few verses in chapter one, that um, that you'll have some things that that come to your mind that would be helpful for us all to hear and be edified by as we try to comprehend. We got one part of this this passage that's going to be, uh, it was harder. I probably spent the most amount of time studying this week on this this one little phrase that um, that's really uh, really helpful, but but could be taken a couple different ways. So I wanted to study that out. But I'm hoping this, this morning we'll have some good discussion. By way of re- review, I just have a couple things I want to say to kind of bring those that haven't been here uh, for each of the weeks uh, up to speed, so you'll kind of know where we're at, what we've talked about, and, and some of the highlights or the highlights that, that Peter has has shared with the churches as he's written this letter. Um, but I was thinking, I was actually beginning to this week to study a little bit into Second Peter, because the, the plan is after we finish First Peter, get into Second Peter. And I was reading this week and, and just was reminded of Second of Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Uh, listen to what, what Peter says in his in his second letter. Uh, to this church, to the churches that were scattered, he says. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. He had just listed. I can't wait for us to study those quality, those qualities that he mentions in in chapter one of Second Peter. Uh, but he says, I I always re- want to remind you of these qualities that you know them and are established in the truth as uh, that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body. He says to stir you up by way of reminder since I know the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. And listen to what he says, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may, able, you may be able to recall these things. So Peter's purpose in writing the letters uh, in part was so that after he's gone, they could go back and read and recall these things. But then in chapter 3 of Second Peter, listen to what he says. He says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them... I am stirring up your sincere mind by the way of reminder. And so that goes along with what we've been saying. Peter's purpose in writing uh, both of these letters was to stir up in these believers that were scattered about uh, a proper way of thinking. A proper way of thinking. The purpose of these letters was to stir them up, in particular that their minds would be sincere, pure, genuine. It's just a reminder this week as I was looking at that that the battle for holiness really does happen in our minds. Where the mind goes, the man goes. And I think Peter was trying to remind his readers of this truth, that if you can control what goes into your mind and what you focus on, you will, you will have a good handle on the, the, the direction of your life and where, where you go. It is a mind battle. And that's what Peter is referring to. So just to... Recap a couple of the, the lessons. Here it is. Uh, we've talked about how Peter was a fisherman turned apostle. 
that lived a lot of ups and downs in his life. We talked about quite a bit of those, which makes many of us really relate to Peter in a unique way. Of all the apostles that you read about and you see their lives, and especially with all the writings that we read of the Apostle Paul, sometimes I have a hard time relating to him. But with Peter, a lot of us relate. So really the roller coaster that his life was at times. And we talked about the purpose was to comfort and stir up these believers that were scattered throughout the Roman Empire to help them focus on the hope that they had in Christ Jesus. The pressure that they were under was not going to be an acceptable excuse for them to retreat back, but instead the testing of their, their faith would bring praise, honor, and glory when Christ returns. So we talked about that. We also talked about how he instructed the church to walk in the fear of God. So we talked about that uh, last time, knowing that they were purchased at such a great price. You would never want to take for granted all of the things that Jesus went through to purchase you and make you his, to make you a part of the family of God, to walk in such a way that, that puts no value on what Christ has done would be a dangerous way to walk. And so we talked about that. Peter gives us such a wonderful reminder of our hope, describing it as a living and active, this, this hope that we have is an inheritance that is secure because God is holding it safely. And so today we're going to start up in verse 22, and we're going to read 22 through the end of the chapter, verses 25. I'm going to ask somebody if they will read that that has it already opened up and, and in front of you there. So 22 through 25. So he starts out in verse 22 saying, and this is the, the, the part of the passage that was uh, the hardest for me this week to determine what we were talking about here. But he starts out by saying, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Having purified your souls. What does he mean by having purified your souls? What do you think he means by that? Having your faith tried, tested. Okay. Okay. Yep, he definitely talked about when the faith is, is tried, you get to see that it's genuine, a genuine faith. What else might he mean by having your souls purified? Yep. Yeah, there's basically two different views as to what this what he means by having your your souls purified. And in some ways, I don't think it really matters, but they're both important to understand. So he could mean uh, just the, in, in a moral sense that as we walk with the Lord and we walk in obedience to him and we're, obe we're obeying the truth, that in a moral sense, you know, it's kind of maybe that, that picture of sanctification uh, that we are, uh, we, are, we are being purified. Like we are, our souls are continually being purified as we walk in obedience to the Lord. But I don't think that's what he means. I think it's what Eric just said. I think he is referring to what happens at the moment of salvation when, uh, when we are made clean. He had already said in, in chapter 1, verse 8, 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So Peter had already uh, mentioned and talked about and focused on the idea of our souls being saved, which was an outcome of the, the faith that he, had, that he would mention to them. So I believe Peter is referring here to the souls being made clean at salvation. And again, you might disagree with that. You might think that he's talking more on the moral sense. But really, uh, I mean, as we, as we look into this verse, both in some ways could be true. Uh, but as I studied it, it seems like that what he is talking about, this purification of the souls by your obedience to the truth, was leading to something. We're going to talk about what it was leading to. It was leading to this idea of love. And so it seems like it was something that happened in the past that was for the purpose of these people walking in love. So that's what I think Peter is talking about. I was thinking about how Peter might even be remembering a certain confrontation that he had with Jesus in John chapter 13. You remember when, when Jesus went down to wash the feet of Jesus? What was, what was the um, when, when Jesus went down on his feet to wash uh, the feet of Peter, what was Peter's response to Jesus getting down near his feet? What did he... Yeah. Yeah, wash my whole thing. And then Jesus, what was the response that Jesus had to him once Peter was like, no, I wash my whole, my whole body then. Yeah, the clean do not need to be washed, but only only the feet. And so maybe Peter was was thinking about that and remembering that incredible exchange he had with Jesus where he remembered that Jesus taught him that once somebody has had faith in Jesus, once somebody is born again, as we're going to look at in a few minutes, that they're clean. Their feet may get dirty, but they are they are clean. But he goes on and he says about this purification, go back to the verse there, what does he say is the means of this purification? Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. What's the means of that purification? Obedience to the truth. Obedience to the truth. And I would say that the truth is the word of God that was preached to them. And as we go through these couple verses, you're going to see that come out even more. But it's the the gospel that was preached to them, the salvation of their soul comes to those who believe, who have faith. And that's what Peter is, is referring to. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, listen to what Peter says a little bit later on. Of course, we'll get to this in, in a few months, I guess. But for it is time for the judgment to begin at the household of God, and it begins with if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God. So unbelievers in chapter 4, Peter refers to them as those that have not obeyed the gospel of God. And we've kind of already alluded to this, but what does it mean? What would it mean to obey the gospel? What would it mean to obey the truth? What would that mean? Do what it says. What does it say? Yeah, do what it says. Well, that says your belief determines your behavior. So if you're really convinced of something, presumably... Yeah. yeah, if you truly believe in something, and of course we've talked about that faith being tested, the genuine faith, uh, if you really believe in something, then when it is tested, it'll be, it'll be proven to be, to be genuine. But for the unbeliever, he says, they do not obey the gospel. So a lot of, a lot of verses that I looked up this week, 
Romans chapter 10, verse 16 is one of them. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us so that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so when that word of God comes uh, to someone, we'll know who those are that believe because they're the ones that will respond appropriately to the gospel. They're the ones that will believe. They're the ones that will have faith in the gospel. And a little bit later, we're gonna, he, he, he touches back to uh, the idea of being born again. And I think it's going to help all of this come together. In what role does, you know, what role do we play? Or what, what's going on here? Because he's talking about some obedience that takes place. Is that something that we do? Or is that something that God births in us? And again, we'll, we'll learn in just a few minutes maybe what that looks like. Because Peter deals with it. So purified by obedience to the truth means obedience, putting your faith and hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is saying that our souls are purified when that obedience comes to the gospel, meaning our faith and hope are in God. So whether Peter was referring to salvation when he's talking about the soul being purified or whether he's talking about more of an ongoing you know, foot cleansing Type, you know, our, our lives are being changed as we continue to walk in obedience to Him. Whether He's talking about one or the other, it's kind of hard to be definitive. But I will say Peter is talking about both of these truths in some way without, within this, this passage of Scripture that we looked at. Chapter 1 deals with both sanctification and, and being holy, pursuing holiness, walking in the fear of God, pursuing holiness. But he also over and over again talks about uh, the, being born again and this, and this hope that we have in, in, in Christ because of the salvation that comes through him. But what Peter's describing here is a disciple of Jesus, someone who obeys the truth by having faith in Jesus and then learns to walk in obedience to the commands of Jesus. And so we can all agree that that, that has to be what was in uh, you know what Peter was getting at here is that that in all of this chapter is that the the picture of a disciple of Christ is someone who comes to faith in Him, obeys the gospel, and and learns to walk by faith in the gospel. But then he goes on to look in that next part of the verse. He says that it is for back in verse twenty two for a sincere brotherly love, and then he says love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So here Peter, I think this is interesting, Peter uses both of the words for love that we see in the New Testament. There's technically a, a third one that's used, um, you know, maybe just a time or so, but, but the main words that are used in the, uh, in the New Testament for love are both seen in this, in this one part of chapter 22. Now what does that remind you of? Why do you think Peter might have used both, both forms of that word love? What does that remind you of? Yeah, do you love me? Do you love me? If you've if you've studied that exchange with between Peter and Jesus, when Jesus was asking Peter, "Do you love me?" He was, he was restoring Peter. We talked about that on the first week. And Jesus, he uses both of those words. And I know some some might say that those words are interchangeable. And I would say that they're so intertwined that maybe sometimes they can be, but they are distinct words with distinct meanings. And we're going to look at that. Because uh, he uses both of them here. And if you look at second, you don't have to turn there, but second Peter, when we get to second Peter chapter one, 
Peter goes through this, this list of things to add to your faith. And I love the passage. I think it's a, you know, maybe in some ways it could be a, a great model for discipleship or at the very, at the very least a, uh, you know, a list of things that we uh, should be focusing on whenever we are uh, you know, trying to help somebody who has just believed grow up in their faith. But he goes on through all of these different things, and then he says in verse 7, this is, you know, again, if you're, if you're taking notes, you can write it down to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. He says, uh, and godliness, so you're adding to godliness uh, with brotherly affection. Okay, that's the first word we're going to look at in just a moment, Philadelphia. So you add to, your, to the godliness brotherly affection and to brotherly affection love, which we're going to look at agape. And so Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 seems to, to indicate that these things, all of these things are built upon each other. And, and at the end of that, it's building upon, uh, you know, the godliness building upon that would be brotherly love, Philadelphia. And then building upon Philadelphia, brotherly love is agape. So he seems to say that they're kind of two different things, but we do also see at times where these are so interchanged, like, like in, in our passage here in First in 1 Peter chapter 1, that, that they're extremely closely tied together. Maybe so much so that's why in the English translations, uh, sometimes the translators just use the word love for both. I'm not sure. But he says, first of all, for a sincere brotherly love. So this is that first type. This is the word Philadelphia. Brotherly love. It comes from a Greek word philos, which means friend, and adelphos, which means brother. So the, so the root word of Philadelphia uh, speaks of a close relationship to a friend and a close relationship to a brother. So that kind of gives you the idea of, of what he's thought. That's why some translations will, will use brotherly love there rather than uh, just love. It's brotherly love, but it's think about the relationship that you have with an extremely close, close friend and the relationship you have with a, a good, healthy relationship. You may not have a healthy relationship with your brother, but if you do, a good, close relationship with a brother. We were talking... Um, on on uh, Saturday at the end of the marriage uh, uh, tune-up, a couple of the, the guys were back here just talking about the the difference between uh, you know a, a church that really focuses on brotherly love and a church that focuses on just maybe a, a Sunday morning um, event where you go and you listen to you know a lot of times really incredible teaching and you sing along with some incredible music, but really the focus is what takes place up there. But we are a church that doesn't focus on what takes, obviously, with me being up here, uh, what goes on up here. We're focused, We're a church that focuses more than anything on what goes on out, out here. It is so much more important to us to focus on us walking in brotherly love as friends, as brothers, as close family. Because that's where true ministry takes place. That's where discipleship takes place. I believe that's where life change takes place. And so Peter is saying here that this, this type of, of love, it, because it emphasizes so much on community and relationships, that that's what that purification of our, of our soul was leading us into, was this, this brotherly love. Just real quick, anybody have uh, like a, a, a 30 or 45 second testimony of just the impact that walking in brotherly love has had on your life? I can say 
say that I, I grew up without brothers. I was an only child. Okay. So to have brothers here in this congregation that, that care about me and care for, I mean, if we're gone, I, I can guarantee you three or four texts will come in. Hey, where were you? Are you yeah. okay? And it's not, where were you in an accusatory, why weren't you here? Yeah, that comes at week four when you're gone. Then, yeah. <laughs> no, but, it, but, it's, but it's, are you okay? Yeah. Is there anything we can do to help you? We just want to check to make sure everything's good. Yeah. 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 The epitome of brother love. I was mad at bad at I needed help bad. This guy knew it. He took me under his wing. Taught me how to not do drugs and follow Christ. Um, I called him up. I was tore up. I needed to talk to somebody. He took the call. Talked to me for about 30 minutes. 30 minutes after I'm talking to him, he tells me what he's doing. He he was running a line from from a pole in his basement up and went across his attic inside, crawling across cross members and insulation and everything, and, and run and run it to a fan that was on the end of the house. 30 minutes after I, I'm, I'm just uh, puking all over the place with him, and, and then 30 minutes later he tells me what he's doing. I'm saying, Lord, have mercy, man. I'm going to let you go, okay? But he took my call and talked to me the whole time. He was doing all this work, crawling across cross members. If y'all know what that is, that's like. He, that, that, was, that was the first person I ever loved. Yeah. You're the yeah. first person I ever loved. Amen. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Amen. Thank you, Ronnie. I think so. I think so, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I can remember being humbled by when my dad was really sick and nearing you know, the time that he passed away. Sitting around the table with one of our sisters, a dear sister, and her walking me through that. I mean, and, and, and doing so much good for my soul through that. And then finding out later, she the exact same thing at the same time, but did not. I had no idea. Yeah. So walk me through what I was going through. You know. Yep. That had a profound impact on me. Amen. Yeah. Praise God for those stories, and we could we could literally spend the afternoon just continually reminding each other and encouraging each other with stories of how walking in brotherly love has impacted our lives. I would say to you, as, as we move on kind of to the, this next word that he uses for love, but before we do, I just want to say to you that in your life as a believer, you are not uh, saved to walk alone. God did not you know, create you to walk alone. God was not, uh, you know, was not pleased that Adam was alone. He created a helpmate to him. And, and I would say that Jesus, whenever he came and redeemed us to be a part of his body, uh, that, it was, that it was a body that he had in mind, with body parts that he had in mind. Not single, you know, we, we might say lawn ranger people that, that, that think that all they need to do is, is maybe listen to some good sermons online and those kind of things in order to, to grow spiritually. It's just not the way God designed it to be. God designed us to walk in brotherly love. He wants us to walk as a community. He wants us to walk as closest of close friends, closest of close brothers. And that's what you gained whenever you became a, a follower of Christ. You know, if you remember Peter, 
uh, again, you know, telling Jesus when Jesus was saying, do you also want to leave? And he said, no, you know, where will we go? You have the words of everlasting life. And another time, uh, Peter was telling Jesus, you know, we've lost, we've left everything to follow you. And, and Jesus reminded Peter of, no, you gained everything when you followed me because you gained a family that is much larger than your earthly family. And so we, we get the benefit of both. If you're, if you're a believer that's in a believing family, you get that double, that double blessing of being able to walk through life with your family that also believes. But your family is no longer just those few people that live under your roof. It's the fa- it's all of these families that live here. We are designed to be together in community. And so I just wanted to remind you of that. Peter, of course, we, we, we get asked the question, why was it so important for Peter to remind these particular believers of that? They were going through this persecution. There may be times in their life where they may lose their family because of the persecution. And guess what? Jesus, uh, you know, through Peter, is reminding them that, yeah, you may go through persecution. You may lose everything in this earth that you have, that you have gained so much by being a part of this incredible body. You have gained a family to walk with. That's why we were purified in our souls, was to walk in community with each other. But then he goes on and he says, uh, he turns that, you know, that's why you were purified was for brotherly love. He, but then he, gives a com- he turns it into a command and he says to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So Peter is kind of saying the same things this time a little bit differently, but he's saying it, saying it as an instruction. So here instead of Philadelphia, we're seeing the word agapeo or agape or agape. And it represents selfless, sacrificial and uh, compassionate love that seeks the well-being of others without expecting anything in return. Agape love is not based on our emotions and personal attraction, but it is, it is a, or it, it's not based on our uh, affections towards one another. It's not an emotional kind of thing. It's a deliberate choice, and it's an action to show love and kindness to other people. And of course, we know the, the, the epitome of that love. You know, no, no, no one has ever seen love like what we see and understand through the love that Jesus poured out to us through the cross. But if you were to explain this kind of love to somebody that had ne- never even heard, maybe they've never read the Bible, they've never heard a sermon about love, how would you explain agape love to someone that has clueless? They have no idea. What would be your go-to verse, or what would be your your statement that you might make to them to help them understand the difference. Because people get confused. God loved the world. That word love in our English language means a lot of different things, and it can be really confusing, but agape is different. Agape is different. How would you explain it to somebody? What phrase or what verse might you quote to them? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was thinking of Romans 5.8. I think it's Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love. Toward us in this, while we were still sinners, yep. Christ died for us. So he, he basically died for them. Yep. Yep. Even for those soldiers that were nailing to the cross, he was he was praying that God might forgive them. You know, right after they they nailed him to to Golgotha's cross. He says to love earnestly comes from the root word, which means unceasing. It's the same word that's used whenever we're told to pray without ceasing. This is what Peter says in chapter 4, 
of, of 1 Peter. He says, The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Same word, since love covers a multitude of sin. And so love is not something that we, we get to choose you know, maybe once once a month we have our checklist of I, I need to sh- I need to show sacrificial love to somebody. It is an ongoing thing, earnestly, ongoing, without ceasing. It is just the lifestyle of a follower of Christ. It should be the lifestyle of a follower of Christ. But that verse that I just read in chapter four, he says, above all, keep loving one another. Peter places love above all. So did Paul and John and Jesus. Love ought to be the priority in the life of the believer. Think about your priorities. You know, and this is not time to point fingers at anyone other than, you know, I can have every one of you point your fingers at me. That way I'd have a whole lot more fingers pointed my way. But if you were to take an inventory over all of the things in your life that are priorities, take the last month, take the last several months in your life, you know, how do we measure priorities? How do we measure priorities? Yeah, what your time goes to, what your money goes to, what your efforts go to. Priorities. So the question is, if you were to take a measurement of the priority in your life, above all, do we walk in in obedience to this command that we hear over and over again throughout the New Testament to walk in love? Yeah. First John, he said... Let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Yeah. That's pretty sober. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, we're saved by faith, but if you've really been saved, what does that look like? Yeah. It, it should look like love. Yeah. Amen. Uh, Amen. And as he goes on, he mentions again from a pure heart. As we said earlier, it's not the same word that he used for the souls being purified, but same, you know, similar idea. So as we said earlier, without a pure soul or a clean heart, really loving others is never going to happen. Without a change in our lives, we are incapable of truly loving anyone else other than ourselves. And so what Peter is saying, like Steve is getting at in the verse that he read, since all these things are true, remember all that we've studied in chapter chapter 1, all of these incredible, uh, this work of God, God caused you to do to be born again, all of the work that God's done in your life, the inheritance that he's holding for you, because of all of those things that are true, since all those things are true that he's written about, love one another deeply and sacrificially. I think because that is such an important command that Jesus gives to us and all of his apostles gave to us, the importance that, that, that Steve read in John's letters, I think, I think 1 Corinthians chapter 13 ought to be something that we just read all the time. It's on my, you know, my daily reading list of, of verses just to be reminded because I don't want there to be any, you know, any day that goes by where I'm confused about what love is. How can you obey something if you are confused on what it is? Go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 over and over and over again until every word of that is, is understood, and not just understood, but like you, you feasted on it and it's ingrained in your being of who you are as a believer. 
Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so if your definition of love is anything other than what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, then just know that your definition of love is, is probably off in some, in some way. Does that mean tolerance? Yeah. It means this. That's what I think. Yeah. But then he goes on, and I, I, I just love this. So he goes back to, uh, uh, to this great salvation that we've, that we've received in verse 23. He says, Since you have been born again, he'd already talked about being born again earlier in the chapter, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So we are born again from imperishable seed. And I love this week thinking about seeds. I mean, we got, uh, Chris is not in here with us this morning, but he's listening via uh, baby monitor. So y'all say hey to Chris. <laughs> um, but I love what Chris has been doing. Is I mean, I know he's probably not wanting everybody after church to go back there and check it out, but he's got a you know, garden you know, back on the back piece of the property, and he's got some, uh, some little hydroponics type stuff going on and some and some pots go, growing in a room back in the, the back corner of the church. And it's amazing to watch how from a seed, you know, this, this life comes out. If you give if all the things are, are there that it needs it life begins to grow. I've enjoyed this week thinking about that. Life comes from a seed and the type of life depends on the seed. You're not gonna plant you're not gonna plant an apple, you know, seed and then expect something else to grow. It, just, it doesn't work that way. I don't know that it, you know, I know there's some pretty crazy stuff they can do with some of the, you know, the, gen, the modifications and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I know all that stuff aside of what they're creating in labs, which are, you know, just, you know, crazy seeds. I'm talking about the real stuff that God created when a seed is planted into the ground. It grows what that seed was intended to grow. And when Peter says that, you know, that we were born again, of, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. So, so if we were born again by a seed that was imperishable, then what does that seed that's imperishable grow? What does it grow? Huh? Yeah, something imperishable, right? I mean, what an encouragement to these believers that were being persecuted, that, 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 that they weren't born again and by, by some kind of a seed that might be destroyed. He'd already talked about this earlier in the chapter, but we were born again to... We'll never die. We're being held in God's hands and in the, by the hands of the Father and the Son, both holding us in, in, his, in His hands and no one can snatch us out. We are imperishable. That's the seed that was planted inside of us and grew us into life. Very similar to the inheritance being imperishable. But my question to you would be, where does the seed come from that was planted in us? Yeah. Who planted it? That's the question. Who planted that seed? Does a plant plant its own seed? You know, does a does an apple tree one day say, you know what, I wanna before it's before it's an apple tree, it made a decision to to plant a seed so that it could be no, that is not the way it works. Someone had to plant that seed, and we know who that was, and we're gonna look and see what that seed was that was planted in us. 
I love James, the way he, he says this. James 1, 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And so it's that word of God that gets implanted in us that's able to save us. And of course, we don't get a choice before we become this imperishable being that has life in Christ. We don't get to choose to, for that seed to be planted. So think about a plant for just a minute. You know, if I was an artist, I would draw some kind of plant. But the, the process, somebody explain the, real quickly the, the process of a seed becoming something, a, a plant that's living. How does that work? First Yeah. So it gets water on it first. And then, and then it, it swells up and, and essentially dies. And, and, the, and, the, and then all of a sudden, the, the seed begins to look for water and the root starts to grow you know, down. It's looking, for, it's looking for water and all those things that are, that are there. The oxygen and everything makes it begin to grow and then it begins to go to, up out of the ground, right? And it is true that a seed begins to have life in it sometimes before we ever know for sure that there's life there. Sometimes it, it takes it a day or two maybe to break through the soil and everybody says, oh wow, look, it's, start, it's starting to sprout. Think back through your life and how you came to know the Lord and just the process of this, you know, this word of God that was implanted in you and it began to grow. And sometimes for some of us, it's a, you know, for some people it's just an immediate thing. They change and it, you know, everybody can see the change. And in other people, it begins to grow and it's and it takes a little bit longer for, for something to happen that everybody recognizes, man, that person is different. But that process is fascinating. So again, what Peter might have been thinking about, he heard Jesus teach a really cool story about seeds being cast about. Y'all remember that story? The seeds being thrown out, and there was only really one seed that was able to survive the, maybe the, the, the cares of life, the thorns and the heat, the sun that came down and, and burned. You know, those, those seeds weren't genuine. They, weren't, they, didn't, they didn't produce a, a fruit of any kind. But then, so this is in, in Matthew. Of course, Matthew and Luke both deal with the same parable that was told. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word of God, understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. Luke says it like this: As for the one, uh, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hear, hearing the word of God, hold fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. So they hold fast; they take hold of something; they take possession of something. So all of us to say, Peter was telling them that this is the way that you were born again. Because you were born again like this, love one another. This wasn't your idea. You didn't plant the seed. God planted the seed in you. This word of God that, that birthed up into, into you being a living, breathing, spirit-filled you know, person. Made after, you're made after God's image and now you're living in the way that God created you to live. And he's saying if all of that is true, then love one another. But loving one another can only happen from those that are born again. But love should happen from those that are born again. He says, since you have been born again. So since all these things are true, it should also be true that we love one another. 
I thought it was interesting that Peter, he has mentioned in chapter 8, I'm sorry, in chapter 1, eight times in some way this idea of salvation and hope, born again, those things, eight times he has mentioned to his readers and to us as we read it. If I'm counting correctly, he's reminded them about eight times of their inheritance, their salvation. So again, why would he do that? Why is he harping so much on inheritance and being born again, the salvation and, and the things that have been uh, you know, obtained by those that, are, that, that belong to, to Jesus? Why remind them of that as much as eight times? Yeah. We do. We forget. So, so incredibly easy. If you remember, his goal was to stir up their minds that they would focus on that hope that they have in Christ. Perhaps he knew that the troubles in this world were going to tempt them to lose that focus, and he was wanting their mind and their heart to be focused on the truth. Well, then we get into verse 24 and 25, and then we'll be done with chapter 1. I was actually hoping Chris would be here because Chris told me this is one of his favorite verses in all of Scripture. But... Um, so ask him why next time you, you see him, if he feels better later today. But verse 24, somebody read 24 for us. For all men are like grass, their glory is like the flowers of the field. Grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Yeah, the word of the Lord stands, remains forever. So he's quoting Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8, which I thought was... Just amazing. What do you, anybody here know what Isaiah sometimes is referred to as? What is it? The fifth gospel. Okay. Some people refer to it as the book of comfort. So think about this for just a second. Isaiah. Some people refer to Isaiah as a book of comfort or the book of comfort because of its emphasis on comforting the people of Israel who were exiled and oppressed, sounds familiar, what Peter was dealing with, and he was promising them this future restoration. So Isaiah was drawing their minds to this future restoration, just like Peter was doing the same thing. They were both comforting their readers by reminding them that this life is short. How short is it? How many years do people typically live. Now, I know we have some here today that, that, have, that have gone way past that, and I love that. Amen. Praise God. But the Scripture actually gives us kind of an indication as to what, what a typical lifespan of a person would probably be. Do you remember what that is? Yeah. In Psalm 90, verse 10, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. And maybe he forgot to say, or maybe reason of Lots of strength, you know, 90 or, or, or more. But listen, yet the span is but toil and trouble. They are, they are soon gone and we fly away. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 90. And so I think Peter and Isaiah were both reminding their readers that this life is so incredibly short. But praise God, God had a plan. God had a plan to give us this hope and this future through Christ. And so it's not depressing for us, as, as Jace was sharing earlier, it's not depressing for us when we think about this life ending so quickly. 
God had a plan, and God promises us that just as this, uh, you know, the the grass withers and and the flower fails, the word of God will never fail. It will never end. It goes on forever. The word of God remains forever. But then he goes into what is this? What is this word? And what did he say? The word of God remains forever. Somebody read that last part. The good news. The gospel that was preached to you. The word is the good news, including the hope that he has reminded them of all throughout this chapter. And I know this seems obvious, but why why would Peter spend this entire chapter reminding them of this hope and reminding them that this life is short, but the hope that we have in Christ, the gospel, the good news that we that we have in Jesus, the salvation that we have through him, it lasts forever. You think about the comfort that surely brought to them when they heard these words that this life is temporary, but our life in Christ is forever. He's reminding them not to focus on the temporary that is fading away, but focus on that which is eternal. And that's chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Focus not on the temporary, but focus on our future hope in Christ, our life in Him that is hid with Christ that is protected by Christ. And so whatever you're going through in this life, I'm not saying it's not hard. It will be difficult. These people were going through difficult times. But don't focus on the difficult times that you're going through. Focus on the eternal thing, whatever is is lovely. Think about heavenly things. Focus on the right things. One quick illustration, then I'm done. I don't know why I like plain illustrations, but years ago I had I had this thought of how insane would it be, and I want to do this sometimes, so I don't fly enough to do it, but one of you that fly maybe with your work on a regular basis, I want you to try this and tell me how it works out, okay? I want you to pack into your bags pitchers and candles, I don't know, maybe I think they, maybe they won't let you get away with, with a wax candle, but, but bring a lot of things from home, and when you get on the plane and you get in your seat, start setting up shop. Make that make that chair that you're living in. I mean, try to hang the pictures. I don't know if there's some way to do that. And just make it your... You know, and if somebody asks you, what are you doing? You say to them, well, this is where I live now. This is my home. I want to know what kind of a reaction you get from the person sitting next to you because they might, you know, really quietly get up as if to use the restroom, but really they're asking to go sit in another another seat. They think that there's a, you know, somebody who's lost their mind sitting next to them. It would be ridiculous for somebody to take a, a two-hour flight and treat it like it's, it's, this is where I live. This is my new home. And how much, how much insanity is there? And I think one day we'll understand this. When we think about, when we see eternity and we're able to see how long it is and how short this life was, Do you think there's going to be any thought in our mind one day of, man, I really spent a lot of time for that little blip of time making it my home and trying to get all the joy I could out of that little short plane ride that I had just going down the road, maybe 70, 80 years, and I treated it like it was all of eternity when it was so short. And I just want to encourage you guys today as we close out with chapter one, don't do that. Don't do that. Have your mind focused on the eternal things, the things that that Peter has talked about in chapter 1. Don't be deceived 
into treating your life where it is now as if this is all there is, because it's not. Don't live like it is. And above all, remember what Peter said, where's the starting place and what is all this mean? It means we love each other. Let the community of fellowship that you're a part of, let that be where you invest your time. Let that be where you invest your energies. Spend time with each other. Pray with one another. Use that time as a time to show love to one another and grow in your relationship with the Lord and pouring into the life of other people so that they too can grow. So if I was to summarize chapter 1, I would say something like this. Don't fear or conform to the ways of this world, but fear God and be transformed by Him into a holy love for one another. Any other comments before I pray and we move on to our time of celebrating the Lord's Supper and baptism? Any other comments, thoughts that bring home things that we've shared? Yes. All men are like grass and all their glory like the flowers of the field. In the context of loving each other, I just want to give a testimony um, that one of the sweetest things about being a Christian early on was that I, I realized that it was like the lights came on and I had for the first time in my life a young guy, but still, it was so amazing to have a basis for a real, truthful, honest relationship with other men and, and it, it really it's really the only basis that, that men and women can have relationships with each other yeah. eternal and lasting and of, and of value because and, and I contrast that with what I had before and what I what I see all my friends who aren't saved have all they have is sports you know the team before or, or, or what do you do for a living? Those are interesting, but they're they're like the flowers of the field. They, they wither and fall. But we have conversations with one another that we're trying to love each other because of what God's done in our life. And we can impart, God uses us to impart himself to others. We get to be used by the living God yeah. to bless others when we're walking with them. Hmm. It's so glorious and it's so... It's wonderful to be part of the body of Christ, and it really answers that 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 song that um, it, it, there's a little song that says that the Lord, the God sets the lonely into families, mm. and, and God is all about family. And to have a basis to be family, where it's not the color of my skin or, or where I'm from or uh, what team I root for, but my basis would be the saints because we serve. And we are loved by the same Father. We've all been forgiven our sins. Yeah. We've all got sins. And we've got struggles and we've got trials. And we share that with each other and the joys and the victory and, and the interests and how different people have different interests and different capabilities and are different classes of people. God brings that all together in the church uh, as an opportunity uh, for us to have real relationships, a basis for real relationships. It just, it seems like whenever I get, if you guys ever hung out at our house, whenever, whenever we pray together, it seems like the Lord always puts that on my heart. That here we are, we're going to eat a meal together, 
And we have a real basis for relationship with each other. Amen. It's not just superficial. And yep. I just was so grateful for that. And, uh, I just want to... Well said, man. Praise God. But Father, we thank you today that we are a part of this amazing family. As Greg talked about it, as others have talked about it, as Peter talked about it, we are a part of this amazing family that is eternal. Here on earth, we do have to say goodbye sometimes to family members. But God, when we think about the body of Christ that has been born again, we are born again to never die again. We will never die. We'll be with you for eternity. We'll be with each other for eternity. We don't comprehend what all that means. But we know it'll be glorious, and it's even glorious now. We get taste of it, even now, as we walk through life, loving each other in this incredible community, this incredible family that you've given for us to walk with. And so, God, we thank you for these words that Peter wrote. I know he was writing them to a specific group of people, but I'm so thankful that those words that were recorded were, were protected all throughout the, the, the last 2,000 years so that we too, can read and be edified by, built up by, and encouraged and comfort and stirred up that our minds might be pure. Our minds might be focused on the hope that we have in you and not be focused on the temporary here, building up home, building up shop on a little airplane that lasts for just maybe 70, 80 years at most for most people. Oh God, we're so thankful that eternity, that's what we're to focus on and that's where we will Continue to live with you. Your word will never cease. And so thank you, God, that that word was implanted in each one of us and it sprouted and grew and began to bear fruit. So therefore, God, let us walk in love for one another the way you've commanded us to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship, reforming today's church with New Testament church practices. Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow Him in complete obedience to His Word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened and your daily walk with Him deepened.